Hello, hello. Hey up, what's up, what's good? Welcome to the Any Given Runway Show. I'm your host, Randall Carlton Green. Any Given Runway celebrates the exploration of new cultures by highlighting some of the most artistic, athletic, tenacious, basically unique and interesting people in the world. Everyone has a story, each person a scholar. Welcome to season three. As we continue to seek out some of the most unforgettable humans, some of the most memorable stories, in the first two seasons, the show featured guests from over 60 different countries and will continue down that path because it is imperative that we cherish the differences. And we can only do that by getting out and journeying into unknown frontiers, whether it be physically or simply through conversation, sharing lovely experiences and saluting the tenacious and resilient guests. We have a fantastic episode for you today with an incredibly talented musician, cellist, and member of the Ember Trio, Chris Gascoigne joins the show. Chris has had a very successful career performing all around the world, both solo and with the Ember Trio. He holds a master's from the Guildhall School of Music and Drama, and additionally has over 15 years of teaching experience on both the cello and the piano. Chris's group, the Ember Trio, are a new age contemporary string trio consisting of virtuoso violinist Elliot Light and cellist Tom Hewitt and Chris. The trio began arranging and uploading contemporary pop interpretations on YouTube in 2016, and within a year, the trio amassed over 20 million views from across all social media and now have over 300 million views. In addition to performing around the world, the trio has performed at some of the most prestigious venues in the UK, including the National Gallery, Westminster Abbey, and the Tower of London. The Ember Trio combine a unique blend of classical and contemporary production elements, which have elevated them to become Europe's most successful classical crossover string trio. On today's conversation, Chris reflects back on his first musical influences and how Yo-Yo Ma was a direct inspiration in his musical career. Chris also looks back on the performances that stand out to him, and he discusses the differences between performing solo and performing with his group, the Ember Trio. This was a lot of fun. Chris and I clicked immediately. We chatted quite a bit before and after the show about music, but also about his love and appreciation of sci-fi. He inspired me. I picked up the novel Dune. I know it's in the theaters right now, but he inspired me to pick up the novel first. Still working on it, Chris. I haven't finished it quite yet. Now, before we bring on Chris for today's interview, I'm going to play a little sample of the Ember Trio. First up, we're going to play the trio's rendition of the song Body by Loud Luxury. And then at the end of the episode, you're in for a treat as we're going to play the Game of Thrones theme from the Ember Trio. It is fantastic. His little goosebumps, especially for anyone fans of the show. Really ecstatic for everyone to meet him. He's a brilliant musician, great personality, and I am glad to know him. Honored to have him on the show, and I am definitely a fan. Let's go ahead and bring on cellist from the UK and member of the Amber Trio, Chris Gascoigne, and let's learn.
excited to chat with you. You remember your earliest musical experiences? And then with that, do you also remember the first time that you picked up the cello? First musical experience. I think that would go back to when I was maybe two or three. I think I only remember this because my mum video recorded me dancing mm. in, the, in our front room to the Lombarda. Do you remember that tune? Briefly, briefly. <laughs> then you must be, you must be as old as me. Um, and just obviously loving a beat. It's probably just boffing up and down to this, this beat of the Lombarda. And mum giving me a cassette with that in it as a sort of three, four-year-old in Mallorca. I don't know what it is about the Lombarda. It's such a great tune. Um, but at school, I, the first time I picked up a cello, I failed the violin audition because I couldn't sing Humpty Dumpty. Hmm. You know, the nursery room in front of our entire year group without corpsing with laughter. And I was always sort of then just demoted by the teachers to just be a, you know, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what they thought I was going to be. But then I was one of two that wanted to play the cello because I couldn't play the violin. And that's, that's it. I'm bringing this thing home that was, you know, bit, I could climb into the case. I was bigger than the thing. It had a sharp end that I could poke people with. Uh, and the smell of the rosin, which is the stuff that you wipe on the bows, it smells just like, you know, cat wee. But I don't know why that, that's not an attractive quality about playing cello, but it was it's something that you don't forget. <laughs> yeah. Well, with the sheer size that you already mentioned, that you could climb in it when you were younger. Over time, how did that affect practicing? I'm sure it's just difficult just to take it here and there and to go to different events. Did that ever become a, a problem for you? I have to take my hat off to my parents for buying big enough cars and shipping me around, you know? And I mean, playing the thing isn't a problem because it's like you're just hugging it. You've got both your arms around it and it's kind of symmetrical in a way, but you know, it's something reassuring about being behind a, you know, just a piece of wood with strings on it. That's all it is. We're just scraping a piece of wood scraping trying to delicately scrape a piece of wood. Um, carrying the thing, I, I mean, I think you have, to, you have to have strong legs and a strong back. It gets problematic when there's two. If I've, I've even had to carry three of these things, but travelling with them is a... I don't even go there on the aeroplanes, watching them just drop them out of, you know, the baggage, <laughs> oh, the baggage compartment, just thinking, what is going... Because it's like a loaded bow and arrow, this thing. Um, so when we travel, or when I travel with my group, Ember Trio, we have to take the, have to take it to pieces and then put it back together again when we get there. Because if not, it's just like a you know a crossbow waiting to go off. I've seen, you know, in an orchestra, a bridge, which is the thing that sticks out on the front of the cello, fly across the room because wow. something's just broken and it's just. Wow. Um, so yeah, it's quite an event when one of these things break. <laughs> Wow. Well, I love the word that you used, reassuring, and that you feel the reassurance when you're sitting behind the cello. I think that's a fascinating mindset. Were there any musicians that you modeled yourself after or anyone that you inspired to be? I mean, early on, I suppose it always starts with your teacher. Mm. Um, and that first teacher is critical to you falling in love with the instrument because you have to sort of fall in love with your teacher as well because they come, you know, it's all about the way they sell it to you. They're like the salesman of the cello. If they can't sell it, then you're never going to want to do it, right? I'm sure that's with everything. <sighs> yeah. I mean, then, then my parents got My parents weren't musicians, they're an engineer and a nurse. And they bought a few CDs, not really knowing what they're doing. And then one thing led to another. And 
started listening to Yo-Yo Ma, who's, he played at Barack Obama's inauguration. Yeah. And he recorded the Bach cello suites, the first of which everyone probably knows. And yeah, you kind of latch on to a few things that you want to imitate and copy. I've been so fortunate enough to have gold-plated teachers, you know, teachers who have come from Jacqueline Dupre, who've been taught by Jacqueline Dupre or Rostropovich, who was the Russian great. And I can't really say a bad word against any of my teachers. I've always I've taken something from each and each each one of them as you know, if it's like rock hard Russian technique or just complete and utter you know crazy, just bonkers somebody's completely off the wall but they inspire you so much by being unlike anybody else you sort of take i think the most away from seeing seeing something that's just, you know, what, what is this person doing what are they i mean they play the cello incredibly well and make an amazing sound but just different views on life and so I'm rambling way yeah. too much. So, well, do, you, so. do you remember your, your first teacher's name? She was called Miss Birch, Hannah okay. Birch. And I suppose everyone sort of has a small crush on their first teacher. Of <laughs> course, <it>. of course. <laughs> I was only probably about seven. Yeah. But she was um, always so kind and I think so patient. And I took to it really quickly because it was – you know, you get stickers stuck on your cello with smiley faces and, you know, gold stars. And that was, that was motivated me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had a great mum and dad who just kicked my butt into shape, made me practice every day. Otherwise I'd be banned from watching the TV or, yeah. but in a nice way, you know, it was always positive. I had a really great upbringing and just was made to work hard. I've been enjoying just watching you reflect back into those memories, just as watching your kind of your facial expressions as you reminisce on that. It's, it's been awesome to see. As we fast forward now to your life as a performer now, how do you get yourself in the right mindset for a performance? And also the emotions, they're not always happy. Sometimes they're somber. So how does that also play a role in getting in that mindset? I suppose we're actors and depending on what we're playing, we have to pick a sort of plot or I teach a few kids, right? I'm a teacher myself and trying to sell a piece of music to a child is sometimes quite difficult because they want to go and play Fortnite or watch TikTok or do whatever, they, do whatever the children do. Um, so you have to make them create their own story. And certainly for classical pieces, that's easier because, you know, they have these really clear moods and they can take you to some dark places, but everyone has their own story behind a piece. And even to the point where you can script every note, um, that usually helps me with those and I can find a way in, but it can't be too rigid because you want some flexibility to, you know, sometimes when you perform, you get taken to different places or you, you you watch somebody and, you know, you find something else in what you're doing that takes you somewhere else. It's like these pathways. You have to sort of be open to taking different routes, but have an idea. Mm. Um, in terms of the headspace, getting yourself mentally prepared, that's a hard one. We, we've, yeah, that's really difficult. Because you're, by yourself, it's, it's nerve-wracking. But when you're with other people performing, you can sort of feed off them and just 
go into it open and not knowing what to expect or who's on the other side of the, the stage. Um, and just almost pretending they're not. I used to perform without my glasses because I couldn't see who I was playing for. So the performance was always based on the people I'm with. And then the audience get what you give out to each other. So you can either perform for yourself or you can perform for the audience. And I think even in some pieces, there's moments where you have both of that. Um, now all the poppy stuff, it's different. It's more about just <laughs> being full of energy and almost manic. And But it, it's really different performing classically and with Ember Trio, with a group. It's, yeah, it's like being on two different films, I think, or having to play two different actors. <laughs> yeah. Well, as you look back, has there been specific times where that relationship with the audience did stand out for you emotionally, whether it be a specific performance or a location? I mean, I think some of the most profound performances have been as a listener because you can get drawn into somebody else's world. One of those in particular was with the soprano singer, um, Cecilia Bartoli, mm -hmm. who, I mean, she's just mind-blowing. She should sort of, you know, hairs on your back standing up, spine tingling. As a performer, I mean, we've done some weird stuff. We've been to Pakistan, Saudi Arabia, and we've played for some royal royalty as well. And it's very surreal, sort of performing its raining men to, you know, <laughs> royalty, yeah. and then probably not knowing what you're playing. Um, I think some of the proudest moments is performing at Royal Festival Hall in London mm. um, as part of the Ministry of Sound sort of orchestral concert um, playing with Ray. I don't know if you know Ray. She's a sort of a female artist yeah, of on TV. That was pretty cool. We supported Nora Jones. Um, I mean, those standout sort of, you know, big clang moments where I can sort of say to my mates, oh yeah, last week I played with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like personally though, it's playing a cello concerto when you're, you know, you're by yourself and you've got an orchestra behind you um, and you're the soloist trying to make it through a piece um, for about 45 minutes with a hundred other people making a massive racket behind you. That's, <laughs> that's quite rewarding. Or watching students perform. Um, so, yeah, lots of things to draw upon. I've got a massive list here. I'm not really following it. I wish I was. But, well, yeah. I'm curious too about, uh, about the teaching aspect. Is there anything that you've learned through teaching that you wish you would have known when you first started performing? Oh yeah, to practice. <laughs> <laughs> Without being told to, right? Yeah, I'd love to have done what I'm telling people to do. Actually performing lots has taught me to act mm. and to become that performer on stage. A lot of the hard work I think has been done before in practice rooms. But getting on that stage, nothing prepares you. Being on sometimes live telly and having to play without even really being able to hear yourself, having to trust where you are, you know, not having long to sound check, being literally by on the seat of your pants, just, just like, this could go so wrong. Yeah, yeah. But I've got to smile, get the right camera, play the right notes. Um, and not fall off the stage.
prepare for the unexpected, I think, as well with live TV, working with kids. Um, it's hard to answer that one. What was the question? I've completely forgotten. <laughs> so I think you answered it. We were talking about just things that you've learned. And at the very end, you said, prepare for the unexpected. And that kind of leads me into my next question about the unexpected of the last 18 months. So for you, how did you yes. handle that uncertainty as far as cancellations, not really knowing what the future held? And then also, was there perhaps somewhat of a, of a loss of identity because you're a performer and without performances, are you still a performer? I mean, Do you know what? I perform every day, okay. even if it's in front of my parents or my okay. girlfriend singing in my underpants. <laughs> every second. Yeah. I think so. Every second of every day is a performance. If, you're, if what you live and love to do is entertain people, you're an attention seeker. You're just a, you know, an addict of having people watch you do stuff, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but in terms of your COVID in the last year, I mean, everything, just the diary just went boom out. And, but I've had a lot of time to, we've had a lot of time as a group to record. Luckily we've got a great team around us who supported us in every way throughout this pandemic. And we were recording, filming, planning. I set up a production company to film because I wanted to be on the other side of the camera as well, just because it's interesting being able to choose and make decisions that I'm not allowed to necessarily be very heavily involved in because, you know, we have to let accountability sit above us rather than I think fight amongst each other about what take we want or what you know what shot we want in the in the videos. Um, but I've been at home, gone into cleaning overdrive, mm. thinking about what to do next. What do I want to do when when I can't do this stuff anymore? I know that I want to. I think my core being is as a musician, and I even I think I'll be going until I drop. I don't want to. I don't think I. I don't think as a musician you can really retire because it's not a job. It's, yeah. It was born as a hobby. Well, it was born as something that you love to do yeah. alongside everything else. And so to just put that down and say, all right, I'm done now, is I think impossible. And the amount of gear that I've collected over the years, I, I don't think I could ever sell it all in time. Ugh. I love that. It's part of your core being and that it's not, it's not a job. You can't retire from something that's not a job. I think that's, that's fascinating. Kind of sticking with our conversation about the last year, what do you feel is the biggest life lesson that you've been able to learn? And it doesn't have to be music related. I mean, to value the people that support you and are around you, because I suppose we've all spent much more time with them if we were allowed to, like if we weren't locked up away from them. Music, okay. I think that in entertainment, People will crave it and entertaining people would always be a part of life. So even when this was over, I knew that we'd be back and just to wait, hold it out, just, just, you know, hibernate and people want to be entertained. They will crave Mm -hmm. this in their lives. So it it wasn't going to go away. It was always going to come back in some shape or form, even if it was that hideous, you know, online, just, Live streaming, I couldn't. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> I think that would be no. I, I, yeah, it has to be live. Live music. Yeah, 
is is everything and it was never going to disappear even if we were all wearing hazmat suits we'd be entertaining each other or seeing those guys in those big zorb balls you know being entertained at, at music festivals even if it was that that would be better than nothing so it was always going to come to an end um but being supported by your family and the loved ones around you is the only way through it i do feel i felt so sorry for friends of mine who don't have family and it was so important just to touch base with, with those those guys who literally have no one i i would have gone mad i'd have been climbing the walls i don't know what i'd have done yeah without a support group you mentioned there about sticking it out things are going to change and people are always going to want to be entertained and you said just be patient wait it out but that's easier said than done have you always been patient <laughs> no i'm, and, and I'm was this something that terrible. developed over the last year I'm horribly impatient <laughs> with myself and with yeah. my colleagues. If you are impatient then, then how did you do it without going mad? <laughs> Maybe you have to be mad in the first okay. place to do this Fair stuff. I think, I think there were drips and drabs. We got little bits here and there. So we, we got to go to Malta to perform for their New Year's show, um, having to do all the tests and all this kind of stuff. Um, so we got enough, and we were on, we did Britain's Got Talent in the UK on TV. So we got enough sort of chunks of goodies and it's like having a dessert just thrown at you once in a while. That was enough to make you not go, no, I didn't want to become an Uber driver or go and work in the supermarkets. Nothing would have stopped me yeah. from carrying on being a musician. Even if it meant just diversifying, it would always be music. So I didn't really get impatient because there's always something music related to do here even if you have to make make it happen yourself um so i don't think i'm a pessimist in that sense i think i was always optimistic yeah Um, because it's and i I just threw something that you love and you mentioned you can't retire from it because it is something you love so that helps as the foundation for it yeah i threw myself into my teaching as well my students so i was giving you know i gave them double lessons an extra lesson free every week just to give me something to do and to and thinking they're just sitting at home doing nothing as well. So come on, we can we can make them make them love this more than they hopefully already were. <laughs> Very cool. Very cool. Well, you've performed around the world with, with symphonies, with orchestras, solo, and you also perform with the Ember Trio. So will you tell me a little bit about Ember Trio and, and what listeners can expect? Cool. So we we were three mates that met gigging in London. Um, met a couple of times just knew that there was something more than just orchestral playing even though that you know my dream was to be leader of the london symphony orchestra one day not that that's going ever going to happen but um and we just knew that there was something else we could do with us our you know our skills on you know the cellos and the violin and we saw other people doing it like a scala who you know for incredibly beautiful girls who play it. I had the pleasure to play with a few of them. Um, and they're so much fun. And we thought, hang on, there's got to be a space for guys to do this. Um, and we don't have to, you know, wear miniskirts to do it either. Um, and we just got together, found a recording studio, recorded a track, made a video, put it on YouTube and I think it's sitting at 25 million views today, mm. that track, that video. And I paid the videographer for that video 
in cigars. I, I'd just gone to Cuba with my sister, and <laughs> oh, a friend, you. right? We're so uncool. We went, we stayed on a beach um, and got a taxi around the island with, you know, one of the locals who drive them, you know, really cool cars that yeah. they, they drive over there. And he took us to his mate, it's a bit dodgy, um, who worked in the cigar factory. And he sort of, you know, showed us this, this bag <laughs> in his house. And I paid this videographer two cigars for this music video that's now got 25 million views, which, yeah, was very, very strange. Really nice guy. And it's so nice that in the artistic community in London, it's so diverse. People are willing to build the portfolios for free, which is insane, but hopefully it gets them somewhere. I mean, that was probably us back then. Now we're touring the world hopefully there's some big exciting things coming next year but just some really big opportunities that hopefully we can make the most of you know we'd love to see asia south america they're two places that i haven't yet been but i think the rest of the world i've been to either with ember or by myself very um, cool so last week we were just in mallorca and flew back to the ritz in London, obviously doing all the tests that we needed to do. And then we went to the Maldives for one day. Wow. And then came back absolutely wrecked. But yeah, here's to more of more of more jet lag. Yeah. One thing I found interesting as I was looking through the Ember Trio was that you, you use a different type of cello through each of your performances, especially your street performances. So so what are the differences in the different cellos that you use? So yeah, well, I, I think in this house, this is I'm doing this in my parents' house. You can probably see this. Cellos behind me, cellos yeah. to the right of me, pianos, <laughs> pianos to the left of me. Oh, yeah. Um, um, so, yeah, there's two different types of cellos. There's the conventional acoustic instrument that, um, you know, everyone starts on and it's made of wood. And then there's the electric cello, which is just basically a stick with strings and a guitar pickup. It's, it's pretty much an electric guitar, but yeah. it's a cello. Um, and you can treat it like a guitar. You plug it into all the, the effects boxes and bits and bobs. Um, but everyone thinks that they're sort of more valuable than the real cellos, which is just mad. These, these electric cellos, you know, <laughs> they're not very, they are expensive, but not compared with real cellos. Yeah. Um, I mean, some of these cellos, the, the bank zone, I will never get my hands on because probably because of being an Ember Trio, I'm not allowed to touch these instruments anymore. Like 10 million quid for these Stradivarius cellos and just seems so wrong. You know, musicians don't earn that much or classical musicians don't earn a great deal of money, but they have to perform on these things. So they have to get their hands on them and how they do it. Yeah. <laughs> I love the performances of La Luxury Song Body and then also your Game of Thrones ones, especially the Game of Thrones ones, because I think the <laughs> was made for, for that piece. What that was in a church in Barnet in North London. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's, in a, it's in a not very nice part of London. And I think we... But it was I fitting. We, it was a fitting location. It was, yeah. It, strangely enough, the chairs look like they're from Game of Thrones. Yeah. But I think we made a small donation to sort of fix the church roof to do that video. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was quite... That was quite a nice one. That was quite a nice, a nice location. And we had the vicar standing on the other side of the camera, just offering us tea and biscuits. It was, <laughs> it was like, 
Fascinating. I sense a theme here. You, one place is giving you cigars, another place is giving you tea and biscuits. It's just, it's the, the life you're living is. <laughs> how I mean, was I the, do love being paid to go to different places. I tell you that. Yeah. You know, hotel rooms, beaches. And well, the boys a, take the mick out of me for just wanting to go to the beach, town, bus, or wherever. I just have these three words that I shout as soon as we land. Where's the beach? Where's the yeah. town? And, well, yeah. then, I, then I have to ask. I have to ask. And especially knowing that you recently went to the Maldives. What's the beach that, that you're emotionally tied to after all your travels? The one that you still wake up and think about? I have to say the one in Danish beaches because they're <laughs> white, white sand. Um, and my childhood just spent on a beach in Denmark with my parents being cold. Love it. Love it. <laughs> but like, bus, like, favorite places to go, Barcelona, because it's beach city. It's got the beach and the town. It's yeah. got the whole, the whole, the whole caboodle. Um, and culturally, there's so much to see there. There's so much to eat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if I'm well fed, I'm happy. Without food, I'm really hard work. <laughs> Are you a reader? And if so, any book recommendations? I can't wait to see what they've done with June. So the whole June Interesting. series, you know, I think there's about seven or eight books there. Okay. That's certainly one of my favorites, especially the first book. Okay. And Red Mars, I love sci-fi. I can't wait to see the Foundation series that's on Disney Plus, the, the new series that they've written. But I kind of need to finish the books first. I can't, I can't watch this stuff without having read it. Because, I do, yeah. Yeah, I think usually you have this image of what the characters look like yourself. And I don't want it to be tainted by what somebody else has decided it, for precisely, me. Precisely, precisely, yeah. Which is why sci-fi is just everything for me because it's... Yeah. There's, there's so much to conjure up. Chris, this has, been, this has been so fantastic. Love hearing your stories. What should we be looking forward to? Any events coming up? And then how can people stay up to date and follow your career? This has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you, Randall, for having me. You can follow sort of all of our exploits on Instagram, Ember Trio, and also mine, which is Chris Gascoigne on Instagram and YouTube, Spotify, Facebook, the whole caboodle TikTok even, which is, seems even more ridiculous because, yeah, all I seem to see on TikTok is nothing to do with music. It's always just, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm not going to tell everybody what I see on yeah, TikTok. Yeah. Because I'm sure. Anyway, um, yeah, just you can follow us, follow us on all the platforms that you all know and love. Hopefully they're not down like they were yesterday, but... Um, and fingers crossed, we'll be coming and touring to you know, a venue near you in the near future. Love fingers it. crossed. I look forward to catching you guys in performance. How can we put a request for a song for you guys to cover? <laughs> Just Instagram. You can right. DM, slip, slip it in the DMs. And I'm we'll, excited for we'll that. Right. I got some ideas. <laughs> I got some Beatles ideas for you that I'd love to hear. So, but there Ooh, are, there we are, there we are have something. There is something. Ooh, there okay. was something in the makings there, a medley. It's not finished yet, but th- that, that is coming, I hope. <laughs> Fantastic. This has been so much fun, man. I, I, love, I love meeting people, and, and you're, just, you're right near the top, man. This has been great. Oh, thank you very much. That's been a pleasure. <laughs> Prolific. I looked at the amount of interviews that you've made. This is mega. Absolutely <laughs> incredible. Thank you. Um, thank you so good. much, though. Thank you so much for your time, man. This was really lovely, and uh, I look forward to chatting again. Have a, nice, have a nice morning. Evening, yeah, afternoon. it's almost, almost noon now, so I'm going to go to the gym. Almost noon. So. Fantastic. <laughs> All right, thanks for <laughs> Enjoy yourself. Bye. Thank you, thank you, thank you for listening. Much appreciation to Chris. He was fantastic, wasn't he? Make sure to follow both Chris and the Ember Trio 
on Instagram and stick around to the end of the episode to hear the Amber Trio's rendition of the Game of Thrones theme. Ah, oh, man, it's awesome. So many emotions when you hear the first note from the Red Wedding. Ah, oh, I can't. Everyone has a story. Each person a scholar. Thank you for listening. Fill up that passport. I'll see you on the road. Aviento. Aviento.